Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcaller's is a Bigfoot world favorite and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers, which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Podcast. Join me, your host, Jeremiah Byron, as I uncover the stories behind the people who make the wonderfully weird and unexplained their life's work. We love chatting about cryptids and creatures that defy logic, but that won't stop us from having people show up that you might not expect. A little bit of this American life and a little bit of in search of is what you're about to experience. So sit back, put your headphones on, put your phone in your pocket, and relax with your favorite beverage as I uncover the stories behind your favorite entertainers, researchers, and people you've never heard of in this episode of the Bigfoot Society Podcast. Today's episode, we have my friend Carrick St. Laurent from Crash Course Cryptozoology on the podcast. Uh, he's a fellow New Englander, even though I'm in the Midwest. I did grow up in New England, so I still kind of have a uh, uh, feel like a New Englander at heart. But uh, both from the same area. We talked about Bigfoot in southern New Hampshire. It's super fascinating conversation. I, I feel you're really going to love this. Uh, definitely get ready to sit back and relax uh, in a totally engaging conversation with Carrick St. Laurent from Crash Course Cryptozoology. All right, Bigfoot Society podcast. We have the pleasure of talking to my friend uh, Carrick tonight. Uh, Carrick, you are from the New England area, uh, New Hampshire, correct? Yes, indeed. Awesome. And you have done a, a lot of things. And I want to say, because you're still, you know, you're, you're not as old as me. And well, <laughs> we're not as old as the other guys, but you That's know. True. You've done documentaries. You've you have uh, your YouTube channel, which is amazing. Crash Course Cryptozoology, correct? Uh, correct. You've got a lot, lot going on. What else uh, would you want the audience to know about yourself? Well, I'm getting. Luckily, I was thinking about this today. More into really doing boots on the ground stuff more often, which is mm. so interesting because I I recall uh, a podcast that I was on where someone asked me in the comments, um, you know, the, like the live stream comments. Uh, what expeditions have you been on? And I was like, oh, I've been on like one. <laughs> you know? But now I've been on, you know, roughly four of them. So that's a bit, that's a bit of a better answer, I think. <laughs> that's awesome. So you had the whole situation where it was like you were making content and people kept being like, Carrick, do this. Carrick, come and do this with us. Because I'm uh, experiencing that right now, kind of. But yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And that's been such a fascinating part of this because. Okay. I mean. I never expected any of that. Mm. Never mm. something. I, I figured that the channel when I created it back in 2017 would maybe get 200 subscribers and that would be that. And that would okay. be fine. 
and you know now here I am and I'm I'm producing documentaries and I've um, got a pretty fastly growing audience, which has been really uh, strange because it becomes more difficult to manage that kind of thing. I can't reply to every comment now, which is something that I miss doing. But, true, true. Um, yeah, it's been really incredible. It's been unprecedentedly incredible. Let's even turn uh, things back a little bit further. So what was it that got you into cryptozoology to begin with? Hmm. So I usually begin by saying I was kind of into it when I was well, as far back as I can remember, but but more superficially. So I liked, you know, Scooby-Doo and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was familiar with like, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, stuff like that. What I think really propelled me into it in a serious manner was an experience that I had in Lineborough, New Hampshire, which is um, oh sure, about 20 minutes from Nashua or so. Yep. And yep. Uh, that was what I would say would fit the bill for a Sasquatch sighting. Um, mm. I, what I saw, I describe as a, a very tall, kind of stocky, dark figure standing behind this fallen birch tree, which was significant to me because there aren't many birch trees on that property. So when you see one, okay. you remember where it is. Mm. And uh, it, it, I don't know if it was looking at me. I got the impression that it was because we were both very still for about 10 seconds. And it turned to its right and walked away. And that's one thing that I thought was so insane about it because I spent so much time mulling over, did I see a black bear? Did I see a black bear? Did I see a black bear? And everything about it could have been a black bear, except for the fact that I could see its knees coming up and down. And okay. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's like, man, th that couldn't have been a black bear. Um, what, what I think is really interesting too, is that from the front, it looked very much like the Provo Canyon footage, but as it walked, oh, really? away, I only realized this years later, it looked almost exactly like Patty when she's facing away from the camera. Oh my goodness. You know, the same kind Yikes. of sloping back shape with the trapezius muscles and the kind of weird, almost angular shape of the head from the back. Wow. I mean, nearly exact. It was maybe a bit bulkier or, or wide, but it, okay. was, it was almost the same exact image. Um, and I had oh other things happen on that property. I, I had a uh, particular experience where I had a brick thrown at me where we really? were- yeah, this all happened when I was quite young, actually. And I was we going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So th that setting was in fourth grade. And I think this happened. Oh, man. So about two years later, we'll say maybe one and a half years later, me and my friends were throwing, you know, rocks down this uh, embankment <laughs> because we wanted to see who could throw rocks the furthest. And I mm -hmm. found this brick on the ground and I thought to myself, oh, how impressive would it be if I threw this brick all the way down? Of course, right. it's a brick. I'm a, you know, sixth grader. So I threw it and it like tumbled the way down. Very not impressive. Okay. So we go back to the house and maybe two steps, you know, not very long. I hear a bang. We all heard that. And we looked and the brick's been thrown back up the embankment and it's cracked in half on a rock. Dude, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sat there, you know, that's about a hundred feet down to the forest below and it's all just rock. So it's not like a cliff or anything, but it's pretty hard to traverse that because it's thick down there too. About halfway down, you get the thick foliage. So, oh my goodness. And we had waited for it to hit the floor. So, something on the forest floor, about 100 feet down, picked that brick up and lobbed it back. So, either Arnold Schwarzenegger was down there, or it was what you might call a Sasquatch. So, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Dude, Lineboro, is that by uh, New Boston at all? Or, like, <sighs> I'm trying to, like, uh, you said it's near Nashua. It's about like, 20 minutes from Nashua. Do you know where Wilton is? 
Mm, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna actually look it up real quick. Go for it. Uh, I, can, I can give you yeah, the road yeah. this happened on Cram Hill. Is, road. Linden, is it Lindaboro? It's it's pronounced a few different ways. I've heard uh, Lindyboro. Uh, okay. Some people mistakenly say Lindenboro, but most pronounced it. Oh Lyman. yeah, it's yeah. oh okay. So it's between kind of between Keene and Nashua. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's, it's oh yeah, Keene. totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, you know, an array of fascinating experiences there. Um, yeah that was really what kind of propelled me i think as i got older and kind of had an understanding of what academia was and i was sitting there and just thinking like man this is like this happened this mm. happened this, you know the only catalogs i can find of these things are these kind of fringe areas of the internet because at the time we were still i think very much before the massive creative expansion that we're seeing right now this was before, you know, Small Town Monsters. This was before the, the Bigfoot Society podcast. This was before any of that. That's true. That is true. Um, How so this is an interesting question. What year so what year are you imagining when you when you think of that? Well, let's see. Third or fourth grade. It was probably around maybe between 2008 and 2009, I would say. Um, I, I shouldn't have asked that question. I was like, oh, this is gonna be horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh that's yeah. awesome. Um yeah. Mm, yeah everyone was born in the early 80s like me um <laughs> no so i was uh, i grew up in northfield which is uh you know just uh so, it's just south of winchester new hampshire so right. it's like that north central mass and man you go in like you go in those back roads and like i wasn't into bigfoot when i was out in massachusetts you know i'm out in iowa now but it's like man there were some times when you'd be like, it was either something like that, or it was a, it was a mountain lion, you know, something was watching. Yeah. You just have that feeling when you're in the woods sometimes, you know? And, uh, um, was there a certain age where you realized that what you had experienced was not something that everyone experiences or that it was actually a Bigfoot? When did you make that realization? You know, I think I had a hard time realizing that actually. Okay. I think that for a while as a kid, you just thought like, wow, how cool is it that that happened? Mm. Uh, so that went till about sixth grade. And then when I got into like middle okay. school, of course, you have a ton of other problems in middle school. Sure. Uh, and you get, what, what would it have been? I think in my last two years of high school, mm. I refound this box and I've still got this box and it just has... Okay. Well, it actually had these photos in it. And these are all just snippets of cryptozoology photos. So like nice, photos, nice. up there, you yeah. know, basically everything you can think of except for the Patterson film. Okay. And I think I was digging through it and just thought to myself, like, I would love to get back into this. And I did. And I, after that is when I spent roughly a year trying to figure out what it was that I saw. Because wow. I also understood at that point that there was a lot of confirmation bias that could go into that kind of event. And hmm. so I sketched it a few times. I tried my best to, to think, okay, from what angle could a bear look like that? And by the end of roughly that year, I, I, I couldn't get past the knees. There was no okay. way around that. You know, there was absolutely no way around it. I actually also went back to that site um, not too long after the sighting and with a tape measure. And I measured up to the tree where it was. And it was oh, cool. So it was a rather wow. tall uh, individual, whatever it was. And I think that was when it hit me and I was sitting there and, you know, I had, a, again, greater knowledge of academia and, you know, what it means to kind of live in a world where things are real, let's say. Yeah. And, you know, 
realized that this was something that I have been convinced is real and it's not cataloged. This is not on record. You know, Mm. that was what was fascinating to me was I had experienced something that wasn't only unusual, but Mm -hmm. it was highly suggestive of something that is so unusual that it's not even considered real. Wow. That is so cool, dude. Yeah, it was, man, it was a strange realization that one. Oh, that, that would, uh, just knocked me back for a bit. Like, just like, Oh, that thing in that film, Patterson Gimlin film. I saw that thing. Like, I think I would just be like, I need to sit down for a bit, chill out and process this for a while. Um, when was it that, so you go from the, the process of like experiencing it, probably starting to resource more into it. What, what, what was the point where you're like, I want to start making, you know, documentaries and, and films about, about yeah, the subject. Right. Well, I had always loved cryptozoology documentaries. I mean, okay. Okay. I have this one series that I have on DVD called Bigfoot lives. And it's, it's unfortunately mm-hmm. by Tom Biscardi, who's kind of a controversial figure, but the documentaries themselves involve other people who are really quite fascinating. And there's some okay. questions in, in a lot of them. And I, you know, I have like, you know, on the trail of champ by small town monsters. Totally. And so growing and, you know, monster quest, obviously as well. Monster oh, quest for sure. Yeah. That and then search yeah. of. So with all of that, I think that after I started my channel and had it going for maybe a year or two, I sat there and I was like, I've got a camera. Mm-hmm. Got a camera. I do videos. I've been doing videos for a long time at that point, but not on cryptozoology. That was rather new, but okay. I was a very experienced video editor and I was a very experienced graphic designer. And Mm. I thought to myself, well, so I can do promo material and I can do making this thing and putting it together. So why not? And my first attempt was one called the wood ape, which is kind of still in progress. Unfortunately, a lot of the footage got lost when a computer um, broke on me during Oh, That's the worst. I hate that crap. Yeah, dude. I know that's terrible. I know, I know. So yeah. I've got like the first chapter of it done and that's all that oh, I've had. Oh man, okay. Um, yep. But I think that once I realized that that was going to take a while is when I got into like things like Louise de film because mm. I think one thing I found that I like very much is covering subjects that are not covered very often. Um, Love it. You know, so something like Louise de film, in most champ media, the Bodette film is a footnote and not much else. And I thought, you know, even if it is only worthy of being a footnote in the state that it's in right now, this is a footnote that you could make an hour and a half documentary on. And that's what I did. Um, So that was a great experience, I think, because it was so cool to, I mean, that was the first time I ever left New England, was going to the New York side of Lake Champlain. Oh, wow. And how old were you, man? That was just last year. Um, that's the so, first dude. I love that. I wish I, Oh man, hats off to you, brother. Yeah, thank so you. that's just really cool. Um, so you had never gone outside of like the furthest you've been is like Vermont and mass until last year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that uh, is so New Englander. I love yeah. it, dude. Yeah. Oh, I love so it so much. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was a whole new experience and that was, that was really awesome. And that's another reason I'm doing like the puck documentary, because again, puck totally. are mostly a footnote and, I seem to have this pattern where I'm fascinated by footnotes because it mm. seems like so many footnotes are untapped gold mines of information. 
And that's ultimately, I think my passion with this is I'm really all about education. I, it's mm-hmm. so funny. I was talking with somebody last night about uh, doing, you know, like maybe members only content on the channel. And I, I just can't get myself to do it because I, yeah. one that I don't like about like, let's like, I love national geographic. I hate right. that I have to pay to read their things. Yeah, I get it. Dude. You know? yeah. So I think about that and I'm like, there's no way I could make anybody pay for this stuff. There's just no way. Yeah. Um, so, but then, it, but on the other hand, <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, uh, the lights don't turn themselves on. So unless you're, you yeah, know, but, yeah, I have but a problem it's only that. on YouTube, right? Your, uh, your podcast is only on YouTube. It is. Yeah. I, I, so, I, I tried to get yeah. Spotify to work at one point and I was like a 90 year old man trying to do that. So I'm going to try oh, it again. To see if I can you could always it. do anchor. You could do anchor and that's Ooh. free. Yeah. I um, heard that's a good platform for that. You need to like really research it out and because there's something in the terms where they like can use your content. So do your due diligence about that. But uh, yeah, I, I get that, dude. That's a, that's a, uh, that's an interesting discussion to have internally when you go down that road for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you mind talking about, uh, we kind of glazed over it. Uh, what's the importance of the Vodette film and what does that entail? Like, what is that involved with? Right. What cryptid, you know? Well, okay. So that's the Bodette film refers to this piece of footage shot in 2005 or six. There's differing sources on that, but I think most say six actually by these two fishermen, Dick Offalter and Peter Bodette, who are mm. um, stepfather and stepson, I think. And they're from New York. And they were fishing out near the southernmost mouth of the Osable River, which feeds directly into Lake Champlain. So that mouth is on Lake Champlain, right. which is the site that we went to when we went to New York. And there's the incident that Offalter and Bodette describe is that there's this large aquatic animal uh, that fits the bill for what you would call champ, which is, you know, kind of like America's Loch Ness monster in Lake Champlain. Exactly. Um, and it, there's actually this scrapped transcript that was going to be on a show about the Bodette film that uh, Joseph Citro was able to recover. And I got to use it in the documentary and it's no way. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so the great thing about that is the problem with the Bodette film is centered around the privacy problem, because for whatever reason, the film got sold to a lawyer in New Jersey, Scott Shagan. Um, we don't know why. A lot of sources said that there was some kind of divorce settlement and this was part of the payment. Um, and it's, it hasn't been viewed publicly since. There have been some people who've been under contract to see it, but can't talk about it. Um, one of those people was William Draganis, may he rest in peace. Um, and he was Scott Martis's research partner. Okay. And he got to see the Bodette yeah. film. I okay. was able to include his testimony in there too, because Scott had written down what all of what William Dranginess had said about it. So gotcha. there was that. We were able to interview an anonymous person who um, I, I couldn't say their name in the film, but uh, could confirm that this was somebody who was able to see the footage, um, private viewing, and talked about what they saw. Um, Dranginess likened it to the Luxembourg plesiosaur skeleton, which is a type of plesiosaur that has a particularly kind of flat bill-like face and forward-facing eyes. Oh, man. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting because he said specifically that one. Um, Whereas the other person leaned much more towards the the giant turtle theory where they said that there was a carapace, a shell that could be seen. Um, At one point in the footage, something dives and you can see an alligator-like tail come up out of the water and come back down. yeah. Which is hard because so the the footage that we have available is only about three seconds. It's more than that okay. of the actual footage, but the the creature, whatever it is, the subject is in frame mm. for about three seconds okay. maximum. 
it's very it's very uh small but that's the thing is it's such a small frame of time but it's so detailed it is so i mean i remember when i first saw it thinking that could be the patterson gimlin film of leg monsters that is so cool yeah, yeah. that's really cool man there, there's different analyses one that fascinates me is when it turns what i guess you'd call its head to its right there's a changing in lighting at the front of the face and the lower part of the face seems to extend for just about two frames and we mm. looked at that and the people looked at that and they thought that is the opening of a mouth and it seems like that where it kind of turns goes like this and then comes back down again so wow you know that's um that's an incredible bit of detail because that suggests that the object is animate and is actually alive. Yeah. There are some theories as to how exactly this could have been hoax. One theory by Dick Rayner, who's a Loch Ness researcher, is that this is actually the reflection of an apparatus on the boat in the water to make it look as though it's underwater. Um, the size of the boat might call that into question, but it's certainly not impossible. Um, and this was aired on ABC. Those three seconds were on ABC News. Okay. Um, that's kind of the reason that it's so interesting that we have this transcript of them talking about it because they didn't get to say these things in the ABC footage. They didn't really use a whole lot of oh, material, I think, because it dang. wasn't taken seriously. But in the transcript, but at an Offalter, excuse me, talk about um, Offalter being concerned at one point that it was going to ram the boat because it was coming quite fast at them and it would, you know, wow. dive under and come back up and do the same thing. And there's a part where. You know, the head comes above the water and you could see the sun glinting off the eye, which is something that our anonymous witness said as well. So really, yeah. So it's, it's a really fascinating case. And, um, that's awesome. Where can people yeah. watch this? So this used to be on YouTube, but it actually will be again by the end of the year, because I, okay. I don't, I would like to make it as available as possible, but I'd also like to make some of the money back from it. So understandable. Um, yep. Yeah. So we had a round of DVDs, 10 of them that are, that are mm -hmm. out now. But in August, when I go to the Lake Champlain Champ Festival, uh, we're going to restock nice. uh, okay. maybe around like 15, 20 DVDs is what I imagine. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. So, so those will be available on there. And if there's any left over, they'll be available online. Okay, cool, cool. Very cool. So you've done, you've done that film. Hmm. Um, you've, you've got a new one coming out pretty yeah. low about Lone Pine, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is part of a series I'm doing of much shorter documentaries, about 20 okay. minutes. Like okay. Um, usually because the subject is kind of small enough to cover in that frame of time. The first one I did was called Remembering the Iceman, which is about the Minnesota Iceman. It covers oh, yeah, the sure. general case, but talks to people who, you know, decades ago now were able to see the original Iceman when they were kids. So it's kind of this weird nostalgic documentary. Mm. Um the Legend of Lone Pine, which is the one coming out, I think, in, what, four days now? I think so, yeah. Yeah, four days, which is, wow, it's crazy. That's one that I've had a, I've wanted to do that for years. And I have because, well, I don't want to give too much away. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't give, it, don't give any uh, twist away or anything. Right. I, I will say in terms of specifically the case of the Lone Pine Mountain Devil, this is going to be a landmark one. Um, which is not Ooh. to do my own horn because it's a relatively small case as well. So it's not like I'm cracking the code on Nessie here or something. So but, when I hear mountain devil, I, I think Abe Canyon, is this a big yeah. thing or not a big no, thing? No, actually, this is something this very is. different. 
most people associate okay. this with a saurian. So the typical mm. image of the Lone Pine Mountain Devil tends to be, let's say, a velociraptor, like a feathered velociraptor. Oh, wow, really? Or a mangaraptor, or something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. There's allegedly historical accounts talking about these feathered winged demons around Lone Pine. Um, a lot of the depictions talk about it being multi-winged, which is usually where the idea of the saurian mm. comes velociraptors they have you know these wing like extensions on their arms but also on their ankles and so if somebody were to see that they would think oh it has four wings it's multi-winged not exactly the correct terminology but visually speaking that's what it looks like so yeah so that'll be a really interesting one i think people will really like that one Uh, i'm i'm pumped to see that's going to be on your youtube channel yeah all the short ones are free to watch my youtube yeah awesome that is cool uh, how did you get, uh, I was driving out this weekend and, you know, I'm, I'm a friend with Alex Petikoff and then I saw his like live thing come on and you guys were like hanging out, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. One, yeah. how many times do you get to see a, a live stream of, you know, dudes out squatching? Like that never happens. That was really cool content. But yeah. like, uh, when did you first uh, start hanging out with Alex? How did that friendship start? Yeah, that's so interesting because one of my favorite parts of that live stream was someone saying that the two of us seemed like old friends and it dawned mm-hmm. on us both that it's like, yeah, we've been friends for about four years now, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe more because I think we talked a bit in 2016, but no, no, it was early 2017 that we did, I think. So eh, close to four years, maybe five years if you if you count that. But, you know, so we we talked first, I think because I had seen him briefly, I might get this timeline wrong. I think I had seen him briefly at the 2018 cryptozoology conference. Mm, cool. That, yeah. I'm just having questions about Bigfoot and things like that. Awesome. Eventually I interviewed him for the wood ape, which is one of the, uh, the segments that was destroyed. Unfortunately. Oh no. Oh, I know. Sucks, so I have, to, I have to refilm that one at some point. Oh, that, that's I, terrible. Dude. So unlucky. So unlucky. Um, uh, well, yeah, the only footage I have from that chapter is like a still shot of a campfire for about 10 minutes and nothing happens. Oh, so there you it's go. incredibly usable, that one. So, yeah. But yeah, I think when we started talking more was around um, 2019. Okay. And maybe, no, 2020 it was. More into 2020, maybe February or January of 2020. That would make sense because uh, it was pretty easy to talk to people last year. Because they yeah. weren't out doing anything. That's why I, know. I started yeah. doing this. So. <laughs> People were very accessible. Yeah. That's why Alex started his thing, to be honest. But um, hmm. from what he said, uh, you're also involved with the Pine State Phantoms film, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I, I don't work with the researcher anymore, um, but he's a great researcher. So I recommend people check out his stuff. Um, and Pine State Phantoms was an interesting experience because I'm not a very paranormal-oriented person. And okay. that isn't to say that I, I am choosing a camp in which there is no room for the paranormal it, I fully admit that it is not my area of expertise and there are way better people to talk to than me about that um, mm. part of it because I just can't handle it that well it's too existential okay. for my liking so sure. it's, um, sure. it's something that I touch leave for a bit then touch again usually I gotcha yeah I'm the same way there's certain interviews I won't do yeah. uh, because um I'm to the feeling of that uh, if you open yourself up to certain things, mm. they can affect you or they can follow you. And 
Right. And even, you know, even in a sense of metaphorically, as opposed sure. to literally that, that could easily be the case because the most I'll say in the paranormal is there is something weird going on and I have no idea what it is. It's something, I dude. Really, I can't think something. of a single thing that even makes sense for all of it, but there is something very strange. Um, mm-hmm. I, I at least am convinced of that especially I would say after Pine State Phantoms, because there were a few strange occurrences at Pine State Phantoms filming location that I'm still kind of hmm. not, uh, I lost sleep over one of them. That was, um, it's, oh in the documentary. it's uh, while we're sitting there talking about this lamp, which is for some reason, uh, particularly cold in the house. Um, and it, it was interesting because you could put your hand about three inches away from the lamp and feel the coldness. And we would go to other areas of the house that had metal and do the same thing. And we're like, you can't feel this is cold unless you're about a centimeter away from it. So this is like radiating. Wow. Yeah. And um, during us talking about that, uh, something comes up in the audio that we did not hear with the naked ear. Hmm. And it sounds like someone screaming bloody murder. Yeah. Um, nope. That's a big yeah. noper for yeah, me, dude. You know, I lost sleep. <laughs> I really yeah, totally. For three nights where I had trouble sleeping after um, Nate, who's the director of that film, sent me that. That was. Yeah. But there's no an example way. of why I don't get into it because it's not that I don't think it's worth talking about. I just can't handle it. I really yeah. can't. Um, so totally get it, dude. Yeah. yeah. So five state was very interesting. Yeah. Let's get into, do you mind if we get into a few questions? Yes. Yes, of course. All right. Cool. 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 Uh, my buddy, Greg from all the weird from the Patreon says, what is your favorite Canadian cryptid tale? Ooh, Canadian cryptid tale. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Vancouver Island reports um, mm. because it's, it's such an unlikely area. It's a small Island essentially, but there's so many sightings of Sasquatch there and there's tons of, um, you know, Bindernagel covered the okay. uh, alert Bay vocalizations. And, you know, if that were to be legitimate, that would mean that essentially all you would have to do to really find one of these things is maybe spend a year camping out on Vancouver Island. And that would be it, which no one wants to do, to be fair. But I would certainly love to do that if I had the resources to. I mean, I would totally all be all about that as well. Yeah. Uh, I I am uh, perfect. I mean, well, you almost think, could could we handle a year being out outside of civilization in a year? I've seen YouTube videos of dudes that have done it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, well, it's yeah. Who it knows? Down to kind of one of my main philosophies with Sasquatch, particularly, which is well, if we're studying a thing that is at least like a primate, mm. we have to look to what we know about primate studies. And mm. you know, I, I referenced Diane Fossey a lot. Okay, yep. For I think close to a year, if not more, and she she found so many fascinating things that really actually relate to Sasquatch a lot. One of which is the question of how can these big things hide so well? Let's say Vancouver Island. Such a small right. place. How has no one found these things? Here's something fascinating about Diane Fossey. Her team and her, when they first arrived in Africa to observe gorillas, they were there for two weeks. Well, they weren't there for more than two weeks, but for the first two weeks, they would find sign of gorilla everywhere. But they never saw one. Even That's though nuts. Knew they yeah. were right near them in the bush because they could hear them and they could see sign of them. But they oh, never wow. laid eyes on one. And when they finally did, it's because it walked right out of the bushes towards them. So, and it was like right there. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And gorillas awesome. are massive. So these are animals that are like, if they do not want you to see them, you're not going to see them. And that's yeah. that. 
So, wow. In in terms of hiding on Vancouver Island, it's it's like um, if you had a small enough population, absolutely, there'd be no problem with that. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Eli Watson asks, uh, "What is your most anticipated upcoming project that you're working on?" It's a tough one. I'm very excited about Legend of Lone Pine because that's been a, a dream of mine for awesome. a few years. Um, mainly because there was this uh, person I tried to interview for it who was always very busy and we messaged on Twitter maybe about three times a year to try and convene. And eventually I ended up saying, uh, you know what? I've only got like three questions, so let's just do it here. And they were like, oh, well, okay. Oh, yeah. wow. That's um, awesome. So, yeah. So uh, Legend of Lone Pine is a big one. I think that in terms of like a feature length project. I'm very excited about Wild Men of the Wampanoag, but I think the one I'm most excited for is probably Legend of the Marlboro Monkey. Um, I, I totally forget how many, you have so much stuff going on. I forget. I know. I know. Um, Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are two we haven't. Well, um, Wild Man of the Wampanoag, right. explain what that's about. So that's a documentary that focuses on puckwudgies, but exactly discusses um, other little people sightings around the continent and the world as well. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so it's 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 looking to be pretty expansive, which is going to be a challenge. But I'm going to try and take it on myself anyway. Wow! Um, Legend of the Marlboro Monkey is one that is uh, this one is exciting to me because it isn't well. I think because as someone who is an editor and a graphic designer, especially we're shooting the film entirely in the style of a 1960s to 1970s cryptozoology documentary. That is so cool. Um, so it's, it's, it's low quality looking. There's some VHS mm -hmm. type static. It's got this yellow tint to it. It's a box yep. shape, widescreen. Oh, um, man. Yeah. And you know, there's audio filters I'm putting it through. So all the audio sounds kind of radio esque. So um, yeah, it, I think I'm excited for that one, particularly because of that, because that is just such I love doing things like that. I really do. That so, is really cool. I yeah. want to get more into that. I also want to make sure that you know, Alex asks, are you a puckwudgie? Am I a puckwudgie? Yeah. You shouldn't ask questions you don't want the answer to. That's true. Now he's. Now <laughs> you're going to like haunt him with uh, the lights forever. Whatever I am five fiery arrows. I'm going to leave, you know. That's true. Moss at his door. Yeah. It's, it's game over. <laughs> it's um, game over. Exactly. So Marlboro, the Marlboro monkey, I'm, I'm super excited for because that's more over by the Swansea Keen area. Correct? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is the, the legend of the Marlboro monkey production is what has made me understand what convinces people of synchronicity. Ooh. It's been a lot of weird things. So okay. it started, well, for one thing, the Marlboro monkey legend itself is a hidden treasure that I accidentally tripped on. I and love this. Someone else tripped on it on the same day. And that's weird to me. So what happened was I was, I, I go to university here in Keene and I was sitting there and I was like, there's gotta be some place. Or are you in Keene right now? I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's so I used to work in Keene. So, Oh wow. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I used to work at the Walgreens in Keene. So oh, great. Yeah. I've been there. Northfield is like 20, 25 minutes South, right? Yeah. Or right. 15, that's 20 so minutes, cool. whatever. But yeah, it's yeah. a small world, Jeremiah. It's it small. is. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but go ahead. But so, so I looked up on the BFR reports, anything for Cheshire County and I found okay, one good. Marlboro that said, 
um, this couple, I think back in the early 2000s, had heard what sounded very much like the Snohomish County Bigfoot recordings. Uh, and I thought that was very interesting. So I walked up mm. there, two hour walk one way. So I walked for yep. about four hours that day, went up to Cooper Hill and okay. was only up there for about half an hour. This is another weird thing. I was only up there for about an hour and a half. Sorry, my bad. Um, mm. Played chimpanzee vocalizations and those sounds. Yes. When I played those sounds, I waited for half an hour and nothing happened. Okay. I played the chimpanzee sounds and about half an hour later, Mm. most surreal clearest sound of wood on wood ever wow i mean and it lasted for about three to five minutes super and knock you saying super wood I don't knock know what else to call it because okay. it, isn't, it wasn't an axe and the only thing that i could think of was maybe it was people stacking wood because it's mm. you know wood but when yeah. I listened to it, I realized that you don't have like a, like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, yep. Yeah. It's like, that's not exactly going like that with wood, you know, they're not doing that. So, yeah. um, I remember oh, so distinctly to the feeling that I got, because I remembered in one of the Bigfoot list films that I was talking about earlier, they're interviewing somebody who was talking about, a vocalization they heard that they missed because they didn't have their audio recorder on. They turned it on right. immediately afterwards, shot up into the air, nothing. They missed it. Hmm. And I was thinking that because I heard one knock and I turned on my phone, got the audio recorder app on, and I thought to myself, I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. Held it up in the air for about 10 seconds. Bam. Bam. And I got yep. about three minutes of that. Um, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And so that was crazy. I uploaded that the next day. And it's on your YouTube. Yeah. And someone reached out to me and said, I just today was searching for wood knocking in Marlboro the day that I oh, man, and I live about five minutes from your research location. And we have a property where we're hearing wood knocking pretty consistently during the warm seasons, usually no between two and three in the morning. So we got to, um, I, I visited them the next time that I was up there filming for Marlboro monkey and sure. Alexander. And I also met them the nicest people you've ever met in your life. I mean, we had, sure. they did, breakfast the next day after camping so that was oh no way dude that's yeah. totally new englander thing i love it i know well it's funny because they're from the midwest <laughs> actually they're not they're not true new englanders they're from the midwest they just moved here oh okay so it is a midwest thing too but whatever but yeah yeah, yeah. it's so funny <laughs> the yeah. yeah it's so it's so cool but um unfortunately i Good can't for them names don't want to remain anonymous well we wouldn't want yeah we won't watch you too but yeah, yeah i yeah. totally get it yeah and i mean it was just so um what are the odds that mm. I, and I'm not yep. asking that rhetorically, I'm asking genuinely, what are the odds that I yeah. went up there the day that those sounds happened, in particularly the hour and a half time frame that they were going to happen perfectly to be right there for it, and yeah. less than five minutes from me, chances are that just a few nights earlier, the same thing was happening, and when I upload the video, happens to be the day that the husband decided to look up wood knocking in Marlboro. It's bonkers, dude. Yeah. Had he looked yeah. that up a day earlier, none of this mm. would have ever happened. And yep. this is all the crazy thing. I tell Alexander about this after my first trip. And he tells me, dude, there's a story called the Marlboro monkey. And mm. I was like, you're kidding me. And he's like, no, John Horrigan, before uh, the internet was kind of big on the cryptozoology scene, cataloged these reports. And one of them he called the Marlboro monkey. And one of this one was uh, the reports 
or a report of a small orangutan colored monkey looking thing uh, peeking out from trees in the woods, almost as though it was playing hide and seek with the witnesses. And they called oh, wow. it the Marlboro Monkey. So the legend of the Marlboro Monkey feels so monumentous to me, even though it's so small scale, because it really is, you know, I, I took a step east instead of west. And mm-hmm. I, I found something that most people don't know is even a case. So it feels almost Indiana Jones-esque in that way. And so I think that's why I'm so excited too, because it's just one of the most profound experiences in my research path so far. So it's not like you were just in a library and you stumbled upon an old newspaper. It's like, no, there's a website involved. There's you researching. There's a dude looking on YouTube. And then there's another guy like, oh yeah, did you like there's There's a lot of synchronicities. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. That's made it quite an interesting experience for sure. What uh, is there? Is that a later this year thing or however long it takes to put together thing or? Well, luckily it being in the style of a 1960s or seventies documentary, the editing won't Mm -hmm. be that heavy. Um, Yeah, sure. Mostly done filming. I need to interview two people and that's it. Okay, cool. um, I'm hoping to have that done soon. And uh, that should put a release I don't like putting dates on things anymore because that actually drops the quality of the original cut of release about that film because I did that. Sure. So yep. I'll say late spring, early summer is what I'll say. Cool. Right. Yeah. I think something like that, it's like, doesn't really matter how long it takes you to do it hmm. as long as it gets out eventually. Right. Cause I've talked to dudes that are like, I have footage from 10 years ago and I still haven't done anything. I'm like, ah, <laughs> right. Right. Me. But like, I, yeah. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm pumped for that to come out just because like, I'm familiar with growing up in that area and like, that's going to be awesome because, um, I'm sure there's like, obviously there's, I mean, Marlboro that's around the Mount Monadnock area. Correct. You can see it from that, Marlboro. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. But, um, oh man, have you ever been to Warwick, Massachusetts? I've heard of the place and never been, honestly. That place is wild, dude. You I've can go out wild. there and it's like, we used to go animal tracking out there because my dad was a pretty hardcore naturalist. Mm. And um, man, we would see like moose and uh, all sorts of tracks out there and like yeah. some weird stuff. And it's like, but you know, right? he's, he's not so much into that. So he's going to look at stuff <laughs> a different viewpoint. You know how it is, right? But yes, anyways, yeah. anyways. Um, I want to make, let me make sure. Okay. I got all the questions there. Um, I do have a thing where I like to go through a certain set of questions sure. with, with each, uh, with each guest, because it, it it's kind of turned into like an interesting thing because hmm. e- everyone has their own different viewpoint on stuff, but okay. So in your viewpoint, what, what do you uh, believe Bigfoot is. I'm convinced that we're dealing with a great ape. Now, okay. I don't want to discount the stranger reports. Sure. So I don't. I say I don't know what to do with those. So mm-hmm. it's not that I don't include them, it's that I have no idea how I could possibly even begin to categorize them. Yeah. So we might need to. An example, I suppose, of how I think of that might be, well, there are tons of paranormal reports that involve, let's say, owls or, or wolves. 
completely normal animals that we know are biologically real. So maybe when we have something like a paranormal Bigfoot report, we have something that is along those lines instead, which doesn't necessarily speak to the nature of the animal itself, whatever that means. So, Mm. yeah. And, you know, the more and more I've looked, talk about synchronicity. It's, Mm. it's incredible how many parallels there are to, to the African great apes. It's um, gotten to a point for me where it feels ridiculous how many similarities we have. I've been doing a study recently, studying um, alleged Sasquatch handprints. I actually have a copy right here of the Freeman handprint. And Oh, cool, dude. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. There are nice. other handprints that look like the Freeman handprint is the weird thing about it. So there's a Man, kind that of is huge. And one thing I've don't want to say discovered, but that I've noticed, we'll say, is that uh, aside from, you know, the massive size and the kind of deep set palm, the thumb is interesting because the thumb bends so far down from the rest of the hand. And you can't, you know, that's really hard to do with a human hand. That's about that's as far as I crazy, man. Yeah. So and I thought, what could that be for? Because it doesn't make any sense. And I found something recently that made sense. So, um, you know, you have the stories of rock clacking or picking up large sticks, yeah. you know, yeah. biting other animals. So you have something that would need a big hand, but it also would need a, a thumb with a very wide range of motion. And there's actually a name for that. We have half of that. Our, our hand is based on, our thumb, I should say, is based on two primary uh, factors. One is called a power grip and one's called a mm-hmm. precision grip. A precision okay. grip is for pinching things. Like that's what we use when we're sewing for us. We use a precision grip. A power grip, so the pinching is, is what is the range of motion towards our fingers, up and down, let's say. Whereas the power grip deals more with in and out motion, which is what we see on Sasquatch hands so that it can go quite out. Okay. And power grip is meant for picking up large objects like stones. Mm. it's specifically adapted for that so when i found that i thought of course of course it has that thumb then because its main well its main reported method of communication is the use of objects instead of vocalization yeah exactly that makes sense it's adapted for doing that it seems or at least this hand model would be adapted for doing that and we have you know facial expressions I can't even begin to say how many parallels Native American masks of Sasquatch and Zonaqua, for instance, have with known great ape facial expressions, pant hoot faces, you know, the ones oh, where the dude, lids are first true. outward. Yeah. There's a lot wow. of this report from the 80s where someone was a kid at the time and said, I told my parents that I saw this ape man that, quote unquote, smiled like he was going to attack me. And I thought mm. that makes no sense. Like a smile is a non-aggressive display except in chimpanzees exactly because you don't mess with that yep yeah yeah yep. The fear, which basically says yeah. you know i'm i'm feeling pretty anxious around you so don't try anything is basically yeah, exactly oh which, man yeah and that's the tip of the iceberg there's wood knocking observed in apes there is rock clocking observed in apes there is everything that bigfoot has been reported to do is found in specifically the african great apes that's that's rocking dude like yeah it's crazy. Good on you for there's not a lot of people talking about that right now and putting that together. And I, I think that's really good that you are that you are able to like I've had actually I just uh, interviewed Kai and he was like all these people that think Bigfoot is a great ape. They're why aren't they 
looking into actual great apes and it's like well there's one guy that is so good for you man well thank you um yeah is so is there something that i should ask you that maybe i don't know enough or i don't know you well enough to ask you sure is there anything yeah um oh well something that i would suggest that you ask me um yeah 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 oh uh, i wouldn't i don't know about that one <laughs> um Oh, you're good because this question hits about 5% of the time. So you are absolutely okay. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't know. That's why. no problem. Know okay, why. no problem. Um, uh, what are you most excited about right now? If this could be anything. What am I most excited about right now? Um, well, I was talking with Eli Watson and Alexander a bit about this last night, actually. Okay. And uh, as someone who is convinced of the existence of a North American great ape that we don't know about yet. Right. I, th I think that we're heading towards something big soon. I hope so. I don't know how soon? Maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 40 years. But mm. uh, I think something really significant is coming because if you look at the course of the last hundred years or so, you have this trajectory where things are, are pretty superficial at first and they become more intriguing as time goes on. So more reports or uh, you know, more discovery of artifacts that have these faces. Okay. Um, you know, the establishment of the Sasquatch as a Native American culture uh, factor. And then you get into the 21st century. And I would even argue it begins maybe in the 70s with the Sierra sounds. But mm. you get into, and of course, you know, the Patterson Game 1 film is probably where this really starts. But then right. you get into the 21st century and you have two different DNA studies that are the only ones that we have that have been uh, not debunked for the Sasquatch base. There's only two of them. Yep. And they both point to something in the pan genus. So something that is in the same family as a chimpanzees and bonobos, but is not a chimpanzee or bonobo. And that is indicated in both the monster quest DNA tissue samples, which said this is mostly human, except it has one difference in the structure that we find in chimps, not humans. And the expedition Bigfoot DNA investigated by UCLA with the report that came back that said this didn't even, you know, didn't dance around it. This is pan genus DNA. We don't right. think it's chimpanzee or bonobo, but it's pan. So we're going right. to further. We have that. I mean, we have um, the, the Olympic projects nests. And yeah, dude, there's a lot going on, man. Yeah. It's and wild. It, it just seems as though it's coming to a head and I don't know what it will be. I'm assuming that what it would be instead of being a body or a specimen, let's say, would probably be one more or maybe two more, three more, however many it takes DNA samples. And one of them is peer reviewed by enough labs to really come forth to ac academia to all the scientists that are um, not aware of this and say, most of us agree that this is an unknown primate. Mm. I'll take a look at it. Here you go. You'll find the same thing. We need to decide what to do about that because it's, no yeah. well, this is the case. Right. Uh, I think that that's probably what we're going to see within the next 100 years. Um, that would be awesome, dude. That would that be rocking. Be, that, would be their yeah. land, that would be the zoological discovery of the century. That totally would be, man. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, what are the top books that uh, someone getting into Bigfoot should have on their bookshelf? Let me give you two examples right here. Okay. Actually. Awesome. All right. Let's see. We got yeah, these two will do. All right. So one of them is by uh, someone who I, in a strange way, I guess, consider my mentor, even though I never okay. met him. I'm a student. 
I would say of Dr. Don Vandernagel. May he rest in peace. Yeah, exactly. Uh, his book, North America's Great Ape, the Sasquatch, is um, that book's hard to get, dude. <laughs> it is. It's, it's yeah. It's crazy, man. The ones that are in circulation are expensive. Let me tell they you that. They are, dude. Yeah. Um, but I was able to get a copy, and good for you. It is. Uh, for, for everyone who says, well, you know, I, I just don't see people bringing up correlations between primates and Bigfoot, even though they always say it, this is the book that started that. That's I don't it. know okay. if Binder Nagel right. knew how deep that really went, but he was aware that he was onto something with that, I think. And nice. all of this is uh, anatomical description and primate behavior analysis, essentially. So mm. wonderful book, one of the best cryptozoology books ever written. And I mean that. Awesome. Um, the other one that I recommend is the Bigfoot Film Journal by Christopher Murphy. And this is... Oh, this is a new one. No one's brought this one up yet, dude. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I would say that this is the deepest literary <clears throat> analysis of the Patterson Game 1 film probably in existence. Because all it is is an analysis of the situation itself and of the footage. And it's so wow. cool because it goes more into the actual situation because everyone hears about the footage all the time. Everyone hears about the anatomical description, uh, you know, the Jeff Meldrum's thing with the bending feet towards the top of the foot, uh, mm -hmm. the right angle of the knee, the, the trapezius muscles, the, the, the jiggle in the leg when she steps. But the situation surrounding it is so much more interesting, especially for someone who is convinced of the Patterson Game 1 film. This book has come the closest out of anything else to completely flipping my opinion on it because the situation around it really, and I think Patterson said it himself, this couldn't have happened to a worse pair of people. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because right. there, there's a bunch of shady shit going on. My, my, excuse my, my language, but no, that's fine, dude. Like I told, Oh man, Android needs clubhouse really quick because you would have, you would have rocked our discussion on the Patterson Gimlin film, like that came up a lot where it was like, dude. Yeah. Can it, yeah. It happened. Well, I was calling Eli this last night. Yeah. For all of the anatomical stuff that really just screams, not a suit, not a suit, not a suit. There's yeah. one thing about the situation so far that just really is like, okay, good. And it's that Roger Patterson, the morning that him and Bob went to Bluff Creek. Uh-huh. Went to Bluff Creek briefly before Bob woke up. Oh, I hadn't heard that. I've heard, and we don't know why. Oh, we do not know why he did that. <laughs> and of course, the first thought is, oh my God, he went to convene with the guy in the suit. Um, but I, there's other explanations that, yeah. you know, reconnaissance of the area. Can we actually climb these hills that we're, that we're trying to climb here? Right. He's, He's making a film during this. He's probably getting B-roll in all reality, yeah. but um, we don't know that because it is possible that he was convening with the person in the suit. So at the end of the day, it's wild. We're talking about it like almost what sixty years later, right? Yeah, fifty some odd years. It's and wild, I mean, that's, dude. That's the thing, right? Is that it's um, if you want any testament to the Roger statement, this could have happened. This could not have happened to two worse people. It's that. Yeah. We're yeah. still talking about this 60 years after it happened. Right. Um, so it's wild, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Very well. So I recommend both of those books highly. 
is that um is the film one is that on amazon or like is that one a hard one to find or so i get all of my books off of thrift books it's an app that i really recommend it's for used books it's super cheap most of the time i mean i got this for you five dollars really thriftbooks.com is that it yeah, it's an app too that you can get for your phone as well. And you can have what's called a wish list. And what a wish list does is it catalogs a book that you've put in there and it notifies you when there's them when there's some in stock. I'm doing that tonight, dude. Yeah, go for it. There's plenty of cryptozoology stuff on there. There's still some stuff that I'm waiting oh on. There's Aaron books that I'm looking into that there's Jersey Devil. I'm book. gonna be so so mad. How did you get the Bindernagel book from there? Technically, yes. That was actually a uh, gift from somebody because okay. I, uh, oh, fair enough, fair I'm enough. a bit of a penny pincher and I was like, I want to spend $80 on it, but I'm so scared to know <laughs> what me $80 in the hole would look like. So, Cause I was going to be like, if you, if you got that for two bucks then good for you, but man, I'd no, be, it's expensive. Whoa. I think the that is an expensive one. Yeah. Like a hundred dollars or so. So yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to check that out uh, tonight. Um, what are your thoughts on, your thoughts? um, Mothman. Talked about this last time. That's one thing. If Tobias Whalen and Emily Whalen happen to watch this, um, that's one regret that I have. Not about being on your podcast, but about what I said on the podcast. <laughs> because they asked me about Mothman and the whole Men in Black connection. And I was yeah. at a point where I was still trying to articulate the fact that I didn't know what to do with that information. So they shouldn't ask me, sort of thing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But instead, I said, well, you know, there's the cryptid archetype theory where, so, so the cryptid archetype theory, Carl Jung, you know, one of the best psychologists who ever lived um, on the century was mainly where all his work happened, um, cataloged the psychological phenomenon interpretation of archetypes, which are repeating ideas throughout cultural mythologies, essentially like that, Mm. you know, um, images that are found in every culture, like the wild man is an archetype, um, you know, true. Yeah. The old man who guides the hero is an archetype. We have Obi-Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi. You know, that's, yep. that, that's him. Um, and he, that's in Greek culture. That's in African cultures. That's in, that's everywhere. And you also have the winged humans as an archetype. Mm. Carl Jung was probably the first person to ever catalog his experience with. It's the only example I think we have that is definitively the cryptid archetype in action because wow. he, would have these serious psychological breakdowns throughout his life because he had several neurological issues, but he okay. had the fortitude to actually describe in writing and study himself during it, which is what made him one of the greatest psychologists who ever lived. And wow. in one of the experiences, and this only got published recently because this was such a controversial piece of his book. He experienced a vision of a winged man who Carl Jung interpreted as some kind of conjuring of his psyche. Hmm. And of course, you know, you have winged men throughout all cultures. And the first thing that you think of when you think of that is, well, under what conditions does someone see that kind of thing? And can Mothman be explained by that? Hmm. Wow. Maybe in the minority of cases, Um, but I don't think in the majority of them. I don't know what people were seeing. Giant owl doesn't explain many of these things. <laughs> right, um, giant owl. Yeah. As much as I would I, like I it know. to, because no. that would make a lot of sense. But yeah, you know, people like Doug Hijack sighting or Jeff Meldrum sighting. It's like I don't know what to do with those. Um, I mean, I really don't. I really, <laughs> don't. I, I don't know what. I don't know what I don't know what I think of the Mothman. I think that it was real, but I don't know what it is. 
So to say that it's, to ask me if it's real would be, well, what do you mean by it is the question, I think. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The Fair answer. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I, no one's ever done the connection between uh, Carl uh, Young. And Carl Young and the Bach. That's man. pretty yeah. cool. I like that. That'd be a, that'd right. be a rocking book. Um, yeah. What are you, are you, uh, what are your concerns about Dogman or what do you think about Dogman? I think of Dogman in somewhat the same way as the Mothman. Mm. Although Dogman, I tend to be like, well, I, I suppose you could biologically explain Dogman. Um, you could, I'm not sure how soundly one could, but you could. Right. Um, right. I, I'm working on this web series right now called The Manual Files with Eli Watson and Ryan Paul Tremblay, actually. And the manual files. That's like an awesome, like, uh, <laughs> it's like an awesome, like, um, Adult Swim Cartoon Network series. <laughs> the manual files. The manual yeah. files. Dude, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. That's going to rock. It's, it's an analytical series. So it's okay. a, instead of like boots on the ground looking for dogmen, what we mm-hmm. do instead is we cover a new alleged piece of evidence every episode. Oh, and wow. in most of these, we debunk them. And okay. there are some pretty big cases that get debunked in this series. So there's a lot of like... Wow. You know, you know, using Photoshop recreations and comparing the images using an online image comparer. Oh, awesome. The exact percent that those images are similar. Um, okay. Looking into uh, when images actually first pop up on the internet. Can you find the source image for this photo? Is there a version of this dogman photo where there's no dogman in this photo? And for a few of those, that's exactly the case. Oh, so, really? Oh, dude. Before the dogman one pops up. So, and you can date that stuff on the internet, you know? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's I think particularly that's the, the season one finale that we have is is one where okay. the first thing I did was, OK, let's throw this thing into a reverse image search, which yep, totally date how old the image was. What I found instead, the first picture that came up was the picture without the dog man. <laughs> and I was like, OK, we need more it's material. Case yeah. closed already. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, and we're so good. To, um, we have production about halfway done on that right now. Okay, episodes, we have four finished, so we'll wow. get that out soon. Yeah, dude, that's gonna be awesome. Maybe make a really cool T-shirt too. The Manwolf Files. I love maybe it. I should, uh, we have a we maybe, have a sticker. Like, it's like a little police badge that says Manwolf Files oh, Investigators. I love it, dude. Um, yeah. Do you do you think there's a possibility of living dinosaurs currently, or what are your thoughts on that? That's a tough one, isn't it? I'll say somewhat. Okay. I can't close the door on it because there's yeah, some where I'm just like, dude, that's too weird. Um, yep. One of them is the Berenger, which is this uh, Tyrannosaurus-like cryptid from Australia. And oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, here's one thing, right? One of the biggest counterarguments, and really one of the best ones, I would say, against the Berenger is, well, we have no evidence of, of any theropods anywhere near that size in Australia. The biggest we mm. had was Megaraptor, and that's like, you know, a six-foot-tall Velociraptor. It's not that big. And then you have a discovery from last year. And it was the first theropod found in Australia that was the size of a Tyrannosaurus rex. Snap. And for all we know, it's the only one. Wow. So that doesn't even connect necessarily to the Berenger, but sometimes you have things that happen and you're like, okay, at the very least we need to update the conversation after finding this out. We can no longer say that there's no fossil president for the Berenger. Um, 
there's, a, there's this particular video. I cover this in a Berenger video on my channel called okay. Footprints in the Sand. And it's this video that was not Berenger related. I know it sounds like a, like a Christian rock song or something. Um, and it's so good. It's this tourist being shown by Aborigines these footprints in the sand. They're not fossilized, okay. they're in sand. Wow. And I mean, they're, they're a theropod footprints. They're mm. either it's a dinosaur or it's a new form of MOA that is the size of a dinosaur that we did not oh, know. Oh man. <laughs> oh yeah. And they're in the sand. They're in a material that wipes away by, you know, with the wind. So these yeah. are possibly only a few hours old. And yeah. that's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? That's wild. Yeah, and I don't know what to do with that. It's it's a controversial mm. subject, but things like that in Mokali and Bembe, I would say, are the two where I'm like, yep, you know, that's weird. And people are like, oh, well, you know, yes, you know, the natives talk about sauropods, but they say it has like spikes on its back. There is one sauropod we know of that had spines on its back, and it was native to Africa, in roughly the modern day Congo area. Yep. So it's like, yep, dude, that's wild. Yeah. 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 It's, it, I'm completely, I don't know what to say about it, but whenever people bring it up and kind of ridicule it, I have to say, well, there's more to it than that. I don't know if it means anything, but there's more to it than that. So I'll say I, I leave the door open pretty consistently for that. I love that. Uh, lastly, what do you consider the top evidence for Bigfoot? Top evidence for Bigfoot. There's not any public photos of them yet, but there's going to be soon with this new small town monsters thing. Um, the nests that the Olympic project has. Are, oh yeah. 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 No, I got you, dude. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And oh, I can't, I can't say that. Um, yeah. Don't make me edit this, dude. Don't worry. I Carrick, won't, I won't. Don't make me I edit won't. it. I'm so close. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we'll say aside from those, okay. aside from those, the Expedition Bigfoot DNA, um, which is the one that recently just said, yep, this is Pan. There's no way around it. This is Pan. We don't think it's chimpanzee bonobo. We're going to do more tests to make sure it's not, but we're pretty sure it's not. So you have sure. that. There's a particular piece of footage aside from the Patterson film that I think is also highly significant. Okay. Um, found on Thinker Thunker's channel, who I actually would not recommend because it's kind of gone a confirmation bias direction since then. But this was a couple mm. of years ago when that was not the case. Okay. And it's footage from, I think, Alberta, Canada. Mm. Um, logging, I think, actually. And okay. you can hear people in the beginning talking like, oh my God, what is that thing? And they, they point at the camera and they're like, who the hell is that? They say, mm -hmm. who? Like, what is that? Who's that person? What are they doing? Yeah. yeah. If you put it in the video and, you know, up to contrast, you can see it. It's in the fog, so it's hard to, but you can actually see it. It's this person-shaped, you know, lump. It's animate. It's moving. It's black. And suddenly it winds back. You can see the arm go like this. It winds oh. back and it hucks what appears to be a tree that is about seven times its torso's length. Oh, it's I know that. Yes, yes. Bad. Yes. I know this one. This isn't the Highland game where he's, you know, holding it and he's yeah. running up. There's no run-up. There is no yep. two-handed run-up. There is stationary, picks up tree, winds back, throws it. We're talking King Kong in the opening of, of Godzilla versus Kong. Where yeah, he totally. Tree and just hucks it. And it's the oh, same man. thing. So 
you tell me who was throwing that thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that's probably the second best evidence after the passion film. Honestly, I think that's the second best. that is so good, man. Yeah. I love the answers to those questions. You, well, you did you. very well with those dude. Um, Carrick, this has been like super, super fun talking to you not tonight. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. What are the, uh, what are the main ways that uh, people can, can keep up to date with what you are doing? What do you usually say for people to, to do? Well, for updates on things, I usually do Facebook. Um, okay. I'm still keeping up the Crash Course Cryptozoology channel. Those things are kind mm-hmm. of connected, but they're mainly different entities at this point. So sure. um, I, I would say if you want to keep up, up to date with major projects, check out the Facebook page, um, Crash Course Cryptozoology Research and Education. Yep. But I would recommend the channel a lot because uh, mm. I, I'm trying to kind of... Um, I would like to, to be an educational program on this subject. And that's more important to me than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. As if, if people have watched like the Ropin video that I just did, instead of wild man, the Wampanoag, that is maybe <laughs> the comments in that video are wild. They are because they are. You know, dude, so I'm not going to spoil it. It's like, yeah, go, well, go watch that video and then go in the comments. John Whitcomb what? came out of the woodwork to comment. That's on that what video. I'm saying. I didn't want to Which come is- out and say it, but I was like, Right. Oh, that's the guy. Which is fascinating <laughs> to me because I've talked with Eli about this and we've about this so many times. John McComb, I thought I'd been off the radar for a while. And can, yeah. considering you know how long he's been in this and how old he is, if you put a gun to my head and asked me, I would have said, I think John Whitcomb died. <laughs> so it was surprising for me when he came out of the woodwork because I was like, dude, I thought you were dead. <laughs> he's I very thought, much alive and yes. commenting on your roping video like crazy. Yeah. Like it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. Really fascinating stuff. stuff. So, so yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, definitely subscribe to that YouTube channel. Uh, join the group. There's a lot of good. It's one of my uh, favorite groups to get info from. So you well, you're definitely you doing much. good good work there. I encourage but, you uh, watching yeah. this podcast because this is a really good podcast. It's not watched enough. It's got great interviews. Keep watching this, please. Thanks, Eric. That means that means a ton. Um, who knows what the future will bring? I'll just who say knows? that, but, uh, it's gotten me through 2020. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Carrick is going to hang out a little bit after this, share some extra stories, uh, for the Patreon members. You can support the podcast for, uh, $5 a month, patreon.com forward slash Bigfoot society helps out a lot, but, uh, thank you so much for coming on again, Carrick. Of course. Big thanks again to my friend Carrick St. Laurent from Crash Course Cryptozoology for coming on the podcast and sharing everything that he's got going on right now. Definitely check out his YouTube channel and uh, check out all the really cool documentaries he's making on that channel. You're going to love it. But thanks again, Carrick, for coming on. Go ahead and uh, subscribe to his channel. You're not going to want to miss anything he's putting out. Thank the supporting members of the Bigfoot Society Patreon. We have Surfetes, uh, Josh Sewich from the Starfall Collective on Twitch, Greg Morrill from the Order 66 podcast, with Coco Van Boxtel from Strange Little Lands, Daniel Fuller with Caveman Resale on eBay, Lauren from Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. And if you're not a Patreon member and you're just a listener, thanks for taking your time 
out of your busy day and spending some time with us. Uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Leave a review on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and uh, your preferred podcast platform. And um, if you have any stories, you can give us an email at BigfootSociety at gmail.com. And again, check out the articles we have and more preferred book lists at BigfootSocietyPodcast.com. You can always go to Instagram at Bigfoot Society. And we have a TikTok now. It gets pretty crazy there. Bigfoot.Society at Bigfoot.Society. One last thing, guys. We need to talk about the new Clubhouse app. Uh, It's currently in beta. It is an audio-only platform. I am currently setting up uh, the cryptozoology community on Clubhouse. So if you have Clubhouse... Look up uh, my name, which is public and out there, Jeremiah Byron, and um, it's username at Bigfoot Society and add me so that you can be in the Clubhouse Bigfoot Society room that'll be happening every week at uh, Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's a great time. We've got a lot of people already in there. Uh, You're going to get hooked, so check it out. Also regarding Clubhouse today, uh, Sunday, May 9th, uh, Clubhouse is now open to all Android users. So if you've been holding off because you're on Android, now is the time to download the app, get plugged into the community. We hang out every Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, talk about cryptozoology. If you go to my Instagram profile, Epic for Society, uh, it's in the link tree there about where to download the Android Clubhouse app. Go on. Go ahead, let's get going. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you.